welcome to That's Just Ridiculous with me, Guy, and me, Paul. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hi, Guy. Mm -hmm. It's a lovely autumn afternoon, and uh, sunlight's coming into the room. We've just spent an hour or two having lunch in the pub, but before that, we stacked Paul's logs ready for his winter fires. Have you had a fire yet this year? Yeah. I've been, I've been burning wood rather than burning oil, because... Uh, oil doesn't look so good in the sitting room. It's so it's put, put, putting oil on. You can't control the fucking thing either. You put this thing out there on. Where is it even measuring the temperature from? And then it just comes on when it wants. Oh, I don't see the too hot, it's too cold. Right. I hate the bloody thing. So what we're doing is we're, central heating is basically over. I hate it. Well, it isn't. I, I don't like a house which has the temperature the same in every part of every room. Mm. I like there to be hot spots, like a fire. You go towards it and it's all nice and hot, and then in the corner of the rooms it's really cold, and in the corridor it's cold, and you put a jersey on. Mm. It's great. And you go up to bed and you put a jersey on to go to bed. Now, that doesn't sound so good. But I, I like it quite cool in my bedroom at night. What about when you go and visit people and you stay over and they've got, like, a sort of modern... Heating system, and when you wake up, you wake up in the middle of the night, and your eyeballs have dried out. Yeah, my skin's just flaking wow, off me. Fuck, I hate that. Yeah, yeah. What about? And then in the morning, you get down and say, "I'm sorry, the house is so cold." You know, <laughs> oh, fuck off. <laughs> you know, you've got the heating jammed on for. I know, yeah. No, I like, I like, I like, I like someone who's got the guts to have a cold house when they've got guests around. <laughs> <laughs> the front, the front room. Yeah, yeah. And you join in. It's nice though. Yeah. Well, sometimes you can't help it. Like if you're, either if you've got a massive house or you're really poor, one or the other. Some I had a massive Normally house. Normally one leads to the other. Yeah, I had a massive house. <laughs> bit. I was going to say I ended up really poor, <laughs> mainly from the heating bills. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to make a noise because I want to tell jump off. Speaking of hot, I'm, it's really warm. It really is quite warm, don't you think? Yeah. Pleasantly so, but we were just discussing this. What's going to happen next? We're going to have to start feeling guilty about this. What about what? Oh, right, about enjoying global warming so much. Yeah. Yeah. About Unless, of course, you see the world's life as a, as a, as a curated whole, and rather than letting it like a, like a geriatric Can when I you go into you dementia... By a curated whole, do you mean? <laughs> W-H-O-L-E. <Okay. laughs> And, and instead of like going, letting the world go into dementia, which what we're about to do, where it's absolutely this pathetic fight against the inevitable mm. at the end of your life, you say, I am going to live in a blaze of glory and then I'm going to put a stop to it and I'm going to do it in the time and the place of my own choosing and we're going to finish the world, we're going to pick a date. 2054, and then that's it. We're gonna. Which is we're fine gonna, for you, guy, because you've had your life. Yeah, but that's that's a very egocentric way of looking at it, Paul. But well, no, it's that, I'm just <laughs> reflecting back onto you what it appears to be like from where I'm sitting. What about all the kids and everything who haven't had their life yet? Well, they have to be told. It's okay. It's going to stop when you're ten. Enjoy it. It makes you enjoy it much, much more. Oh my God. When, if you were told that when you were six, don't you think you'd be slightly resentful of your parents? Even more probably than you were anyway. 
Well, I don't know. I think that it's better to draw things to an elegant close than to let... It's like, it's like having a, a sonnet that doesn't last 14 lines but suddenly goes on the 27 lines and the last eight of them are absolute gibberish. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's the way the human Sp race is, well, speaking, is heading. Speaking, of course, as a published poet, you know, I could, uh, <laughs> I could wax lyrical about this for hours, but I've, I would just position... The raging against the dying of the light, where does that come into your... Absolutely wrong. It's totally wrong. That's really, really bad. You know, and, and I know everyone loves that poem, but it's a really misleading poem because what you must do is absolutely accept the dying light and say, it's just not all about me. It's about my life. It's not about me hanging on to life till the very end. It's like saying, I've had a great time, and I'm going to close it elegantly. That's not what the poem says. I'm going to tie the top of the garbage it thing... It doesn't say ...and that. not overfill it so it all starts... Out it the doesn't say that, that you should hang on to life. It says you should rage against the dying of the light. It, I, for me, it says more like you should go out in a blaze of glory. Doesn't oh, it, it doesn't to me. It means you've got to hang on, you've got to hang on, you've got to hang on, long as, and you're hanging on with drips and you're in some awful state and you haven't lost God. your mind. Hanging on with drips in an NHS hospital is not raging against the dying of the light. Raging against the dying of the light is having fights with your neighbours, isn't it? Like your mum or... <laughs> Or going down the local pub and picking a fight with a stranger when you're 73. It's <laughs> a ludicrous proposition. But it's not what you said it is, because it's not. No, I believe, I, believe, I believe in abortion, and I believe abortion at both ends of life. Oh, right, OK. At both ends of life. There's abortion a... for old people, too, if they get pregnant. <laughs> or even if they don't. To say, it's been great, and it's now time to tie this up neatly and elegantly and beautifully. And, I, and my sister said to me, she looks after... She's a musician, but her day job is looking after old people. And she said to me, 74 guy, I've seen them go at every single age. 74, that is the age to go. And you live and you know you're going to go to 74 and you pack it all in and you do it all and you go, then I'm going to stop. Yeah, but I what are we going to do when we're 74 that we haven't already done? That's what I'm worried about. Where do we go when you've already been basically a libertine? For at least half of your life. Yeah, and you say, and I know I've only got two years left now. Let's really make it, let, you know, let's make it. I'm mean, not actually 72, I'm 61. But you get. Let's really get on it. I've got. Very <laughs> <laughs> good. Oh and I'm God. not going to be like, you know, a kind of, in sort of infantilised catatonia for the last six and years. Was marionette for the medical profession. Well, they're the, ones, they're the ones whose needs are being met, as you well know. They're the ones. They're the ones making money out of keeping me alive for the last five years. No, well, it's in no one else's interest. What you having kept you alive for the last five years? No, I, I haven't had any medical costs, but I will get them later on. And I don't want to just be kept on some, you know, kept alive just for just for Pfizer or for uh, GS Glasgow. What, what are they called? GlaxoSmithKline. Yeah, they're the ones who are going to who, who are going to who are going to benefit for the last five years of my life. My kids are going to be in a terrible state looking at me. I'm going to be in a terrible state looking at them. Uh, mm -hmm. God, this is a cheerful fucking conversation. It is, isn't it? What about should, uh, we, should we lighten it up talking about abortion again? <laughs> <laughs> but what about when you were a kid, though? Did you not think that you would be dead by 25 anyway? I mean, I couldn't imagine living past 25. Don't want to live. What does he say? Uh, Don't want to live when I'm 25. Uh, Billy rapped all night about a suicide. I kicked it in the head when he was 25. Speed jived. Want to be alive at 25? How old was he when he wrote that? 28. <laughs> <laughs> 
Fucking Stealing lies. clothes from unlocked cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's such a 70s thing, the, the, the idea that you could get into an unlocked car. Yeah. Or that you had clothes in the back I of your car. He chased it to Marks and Sparks, didn't he? Did he? Yeah. And somebody's getting spots from ripping stars from his face. Funky little boat race. Yeah. I didn't know what funky little boat race meant, actually, because I'd never met a cockney. Cockney? <laughs> 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 really? <laughs> I thought it was oh, something to do with Eton. <laughs> no, 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 I, yeah, I didn't know what, what it was. It called? What the funky little boat race. race. I definitely thought it was about the... the thought uh, it was a little boat race. I thought it was Oxford and Cambridge boat race. I definitely did. I had no idea. But I thought, what a great image. He's, he's, the guy's a genius. Well, he's bringing in the boat race now. <laughs> <laughs> that was in the that was in the days, guy, when you still had working class people making records mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. getting somewhere, or even art for that matter, you know. But I don't, was he working class, Bowie? He'd, yeah, he was. They yeah. were all middle class. Ones, he was. Really. He'd been was, to art school. That's not a working Bowie class. Bowie was working class. He'd been to art school, hadn't he? We said we wouldn't have any music. Yeah, we weren't gonna. We decided that we weren't gonna. We weren't gonna. We weren't gonna critique kind of any music or books or anything. Because my feeling is. Well, I, I don't like being a critic of, of, uh, of other people's work. I think I'm much more interested in life than art anyway. And my view is go out and listen to it yourself and make up your own views. Don't listen to ours. Why listen to ours? Well, you can get anything you want now. Music was more interesting when it was hard to get. Which is why, again, why, you know, they should... I mean, you know, when Close down Spotify. Close down Spotify <laughs> and legalise drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Because if it's easy to get, people lose interest. That's the thing. They do, don't they? I think so. I think so. That's that I think so. That's what. That's there. There was this. Uh, someone was was uh, going on about how the EU is this correct? The EU was uh, a great advocate of the arts and was giving money to various artistic projects. Is that correct? Do they? You do, yeah. And I said that, but that really all the best stuff comes not from where it's supported, but from where it's absolutely um, opposed. Crushed. Yeah, where it's crushed, and that's where you get the best thing. Look at punk rock, I mean, there. Indeed, sir. Indeed, sir. And, you know, I don't think in Liverpool in the late 1950s there was a large kind of... The Arts Council were going around helping rock musicians. Well, they had to go to Germany, the Beatles, didn't they? Yeah. To get anywhere. It's much better to suppress them. Well, classical and music to say, does come right. fight. Well, in a way... But but then Mozart, you see, if you go back to him, he was he was actually encouraged. He was he he had a he had a stipend, didn't he? Like Beethoven did. Yeah, what, about they clean, all, what about Clean they, Bandit? They're all well off. Who's, who's Clean Bandit? Oh, Thank God, what is, <laughs> you don't know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> who's Clean Bandit? For God's sake, guy, do your research. No, or, or Mumford and Son went to Millfield. And yeah. that that I think is my point. <laughs> <laughs> and there I rest my case because. That surely isn't uh, good luck to the lads, but they went to a good, expensive public school. Uh -huh. So did Genesis. Actually, not Peter Gabriel, of course. Yeah, of course. Or, it was Phil, the or, Phil, Col or Phil Collins, who were the real powers. Uh -huh. mm. But the new, the rest of the noodlers. What was that guy called? Mike Rutherford. Mike Rutherford. He loved that guy. And he was the first person who had a lot of guitar stands on stage. And Rick Wakeman. Oh, yeah. No, he was in yes. He was in yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I loved that with the dry ice and the sort of seven keyboard. And a cape. Cape. 
Like, but, I, I, did you ever? You, you never saw them. You're too young to have seen them. No, but I think they all stole things from Arthur Brown. I think Arthur Brown was really influential, and he never gets mentioned. But I think Alice Cooper totally stole Arthur Brown's act. Mm. And Arthur Brown had Vincent Crane playing keyboards with him, and they all used to dress up on stage. And I think that's where Rick Wakeman nicked it from. Mm. Get in touch, Rick, if I'm wrong. <laughs> Edgar Broughton. Edgar Broughton. Yeah. Those are the days. Guy, you actually do remember that, though, don't you? I was kind of like... I, I got interested in that because I didn't like... Until punk... I mean, punk was really interesting, though. Punk was great, actually. I was a bit young, but I really enjoyed all that. Yeah, well, it, punk presented me with a lot of problems. <laughs> <laughs> Because there yeah, I was how 18. Did you deal with that? Yeah, <laughs> public, a minor public schoolboy, suddenly faced with this huge working class revolt. <laughs> revolt, <laughs> which I, I God, talk about changing trains. <laughs> did you start cutting holes in you? No, I never went that far. I got a pair of leather pants. And uh, you got a pair of leather pants. Yeah, leather trousers. I used oh, to wear. God, yeah, Jim yeah. Morrison was doing that a decade yeah, before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, please don't look to me for anything. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I was not on the not leading on the edge. edge. I, was not, I, was, I was. I never lived my life close to the edge. I've always liked about seven paces back from the edge and, and encouraging the other people near it, where I, I got, stood well back in the safety zone. I got one of my dad's jackets out of the cupboard and cut holes. He gave it to me. I got him to give it to me, and I cut holes in it and put chewing gum on the holes and then put safety pins and everything on it. And then I painted my face white and I had quite long hair. I put loads of oil in my hair and I put a pair of, like, really tight pants on. I found some winkle-picking um, dancing shoes. You know, I think they're called winkle-pickers. Lovely. You changed the tense. I think it's winkle-pickers. They were winkle-picking. <laughs> winkle-picking winkle good. And they were really pointy and patent leather. And I had, like, a furry jumper. As well, and I went. Jesus Christ! And I went to the I went to the Immaculate Heart Disco, and uh, we got beat up on the way. Home by some skinheads. You got beaten up on the way in. No, and we stood at the end and we waited because we had to wait for the whole disco, and we knew if we hung around to the end, they would play two or three punk rock songs, and then we could all pogo. Right. And that was our little bit where we could shine. Right, right, right. I never pogoed with any conviction. I was just just copying, because I had nothing to be angry about. It was the 70s. I was middle class. It was actually an absolutely easy ride for us. Yeah. And yet we were brought into this... into this... into this... into this thing, with this vortex, where we had to... Literally, it was, there was a club called The Vortex, wasn't there? Yeah. Is it in Neil Street or somewhere in there? Anyway, but I didn't feel their anger at all. Why was I going to feel angry? I had a really cheap flat in Kensington, <laughs> which my mother had given me. God! <laughs> And a sports car. I was absolutely terrible. Everything that punk hated. It sounds like everything your mum hated as well, being a firebrand of the left guy. <laughs> Did she approve of your...? She wasn't attending that closely. She didn't give a shit. No. no. Quite right, too. It's good to... I, it's good to have a... I liked her... In a way, that was a great advantage of my uh, childhood, was that my parents were not one. One was dead, and the other one had little interest in anything that I did. Ugh. Yeah, my mum didn't have much interest in what I was up to at that point. And that's why when I hear particularly single mums going, oh, he's not my, she's not only my kid, she's my best friend too. And I go, oh, God, poor fucking child. Your I don't think that's friend. a great state of affairs. You don't? No. no. I don't either. I, I just think it, it leads to lots of things getting copied across which are not necessarily pro progressive. 
You know, the whole point of... of te- I mean, when teenagers got invented in the 50s, the whole point was that it legitimised legitimize that rebellion and it gave a, a voice to the fact that the, the next generation was going to be different. Well, know? in a way, we're going back to what we were saying about it, it being encouraged rather than oppressed. And if you don't oppress teenagers, you get trouble. You get so we trouble. must oppress them? Definitely. You must not encourage them. You must... You must uh, Try and keep them down, and then they then they do the then they perform their best, and uh, you give them a real break. You give them a chance by going, no, you're not walk, you're not going out in that. Rather than, oh, you look wonderful. This is, as I used to say to my daughter, dressed yeah, up as looking like kind of five dollar hooker, going out in the house. Darling, yeah, you look so good. Five dollar hooker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ten dollar hooker. Five dollars, guy. <laughs> not even in Jamaica. Oh yes, you look really. This brings me on to a good point. (laughs) That brings me on to a really good point when I can raise one of our uh, last readers' letters, which is from Catherine. Oh yeah, and she basically says, "You two are just a pair of sexists, and who would be interested in this except middle-aged?" middle-aged old duffers like you who wants to listen to this which shows the extraordinary i assume she's young i don't know what you what do you call young nowadays what age would you say call someone's young young now is anywhere up to the age of 53 yeah i'd say 60 63 (laughs) (laughs) that's young but she obviously is young but is the incredible incuriosity of the young nowadays that they are not interested in anything except their little tiny a uh, little narrow view of the world, and if they're not exactly like them, for some reason they're not interested. Whereas when I was young, I was interested in all kinds of things that were completely unlike me, and it didn't it didn't worry me that they weren't of my age or of my of my ethnicity or of my class. In fact, it was more interesting that they were totally different. Yeah, but when she's a woman, and she's, she's talking from a, a feminist perspective. She's saying that we don't address. We're talking, we talk like a pair of sexist old pigs that we don't really understand women or that we don't care. I mean, for me, if you're a sexist, it means actually that you look down on women and you think that they should have a secondary role in society. Which neither of us... Which, neither which of us I think. don't think is true, well, well, actually. Absolutely, neither of us think that. No, I don't think that's true. Yeah, neither of us think that. In fact, you know, I, I'm not... I mean, I, I, I don't know what it's like to be a woman, a woman but I did spend... You do a, little a, bit. A, a, a number of years dressing up as a woman and going out dressed up as a woman... And I have to tell you, when you do that as a man, you really fucking find some shit out because people treat you very differently. And I don't think it's just necessarily because you're a woman, a man dressed as a woman. It's also just the fact that you're wearing women's clothes. You just It's just a very different world, you know. And people slip in and out of treating you like a girl, but also I just think it's, it is... You are definitely... Yes, but, yes, but Paul, you were curious about... Uh, how it was to be a woman and yeah. to be treated like that. Whereas the young now, they're not really curious about what it's like to be a man of in, in their 50s or their 60s. They're not interested in that at all. They're just like, whatever, no platform us. You know, you, you know, you, you shouldn't, we're not interested in hearing you talk. Whereas, what, why not be curious about, you know, what, what men of our age are thinking just because you're a young woman, as Catherine is? It's like... Is that all you're interested about? Is about people from exactly your... seeing the world from exactly the same perspective as you? That seems like such a... Well, that's what the politics of identity is about. It's about, unless you are like me, 
unless you have the same ethnicity, the same kind of a cultural, economic, social background as me. I'm not interested in If you. I was Catherine, relevant. Though, listening to this now, I might say you were being a bit um, patronising and condescending. Well, I don't, say, I don't think so at all. I'm not saying you exclusively have to see it, you have to believe the way that I see the world, but are you not interested in at least hearing it? Hearing about what, what, what people who are not like you uh, 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 think, uh, feel? It's like... It's like, otherwise, we'd, we'd sit here saying we're not interested about the way uh, Asian people think or black people think or women think. We're, we're fascinated by that. Mm. I know I told you, uh, I don't think we're... But I'm not particularly interested in what, in what middle-aged white men think. Well, we know that. Yes, yes you are. That's because we are. Yes, you are. You're, we're really interested in that because that's our culture and we love to discuss it. But I'm also interested in, in everyone else's where I get a little peek into it. It's great. Yeah. I love it. So, like, I've, I've been... I know I told you this, that I've been... But we haven't put it on the pod. I've been for this... Been, been for these walks with this... My... my uh, a, a black Muslim friend of mine who's 21 and uh, I've been going on... Been, been spending some time with him. We went on a walk together and uh, I'm being close to him in situations like going into shops or just walking down a street or going on a footpath in Britain and seeing the way people look at him and, and are so, so suspicious of him and are so wary of him. Mm -hmm. This, to me, is really exciting and, mm -hmm. and amazing. And, and just like what you were and saying... horrifying, probably. In a way, yeah, totally. Absolutely. But I wouldn't go, I'm not interested in that experience. I'm absolutely fascinated by it. It's totally different to mine. Whereas I feel like the, the uh, uh, w women like Catherine, they're, like, not interested in it. Oh, well, you know, if it's, not, if it's not my thing, I'm not really interested in it. If they're not, if they're not young and they're not female and they're, to no, they're not talking about the world from my point of view, I'm not interested in it. And I just think that they are so incurious, that younger generation. They don't really want to go... Oh my God! How is the world from someone else's point of view? So, in other words, if they are, if they're not interested, it's not our fault. <laughs> Definitely, I'm not saying that they have to exclusively adopt any of, uh, be interested in us, or adopt any of our views. But not to say I can listen to these two old codgers drivelling on and uh, get into it and find out about it. Oh no, I'm going to have to pull them up on their age and on their agenda and on their, you know, socio-economic background. It's like bollocks. That's all taken that it's different to yours. Mm. But get into it. Well, you know what, I've had a few... I know this is a bit sounds a bit, like, pathetic in some ways because we don't get out much. Well, I certainly don't get out much since I moved to the countryside. As some of you are probably getting that picture, you know, if you've been listening to this. But I do get out a bit, but I, the thing is I don't make the effort to go into town much anymore. And so... but. What has been happening a bit... When you say town, do you mean Corsham? <laughs> like, the big yeah. smoke, up the to, little smoke. Up to Corsham, yeah. <laughs> but no, I was thinking about, you know, like, uh, these people... Midtown Corsham. Recently, because of various interests I have, which some of which cross over into sort of um, American vehicles and and or odd things, that some of which means going to America, I've ended up with quite a few... I've ended up speaking to people online who are really quite um, right-wing, roughneck American, basically what you would call the worst people on earth. What did you call them? The, the rednecks. Yeah. And I've ended up with some rednecks. Not the worst people, the, the, the most aggressive tribe. The redneck... The re I've ended up with some redneck the friends on Facebook. The most aggressive tribe. And I just won't... I just refuse to drop them because I think, you know, they came up with these things and some of the things they put up are really quite... I mean, for me, they're quite difficult to stomach. It's like when they start going on about Kavanaugh and stuff like this or, you know, women whinge too much. But then I think, well, actually, can't we just... 
absorb that opinion and just try not to just have a knee-jerk reaction to it and try to understand where they're coming from because... And it, I, I find it really an interesting exercise. You know, I'm not going to start agreeing with Nazis. I'm not going to put up with people telling me black is white or, or you know... And I have to say as well, there's, you know, there have been... An, I'm going to say this, there's been an element of some pro-Israeli people on Facebook who've also pissed me off in other ways. But I just refuse... I'm not going to be the one to shut down the conversation. You, you mustn't. You mustn't. I'm not. You mustn't. Even if I disagree with them. You mustn't. And, and the more difficult it is, the, the more interesting, more it, interesting is. it gets. Definitely it is. Definitely yeah. is. And I think that, that that's what the politics of identity do. And, they, and that, that's, as we well know, these student unions that, that are so often, in, I'm sure, in the Daily Mail and many other places, uh, ridicule. No but exactly. And it's just like... You know, don't absolutely give them a platform because it's so exciting and interesting to have someone who doesn't think, who doesn't, who doesn't think the same way as you, who doesn't come from the same place as you, who doesn't see the world in the same place. So I would say, why I'm saying you, me, doesn't look at the same world as same way, the same way as me. To me, that's like great. How is it? How is it for them? Because. Mm. To find a world where everyone thinks the same way and looks at the world the same, from the same directional perspective as I do, is like, ugh, what's the fucking point of that? What been... is the point, Paul? What is the point of that? This Let's has been. Let's talk about that. Why is it that they don't want to see the world from someone else's point of view? Because they're comfortable in where, with where they are. Yeah, they're essentially incurious too, and the no, reason they become, they're they're become comfortable with, with where they are, they've become. Yeah, They've but I'm very comfortable settled. listening to this. This, 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 this twenty. My friend who's saying this, twenty-one-year-old uh, uh, Muslim from Tottenham. I'm very comfortable listening to him lecture me about colonial history in Africa, which he's incredibly. He's he's very well informed about, and he's extremely angry about as well. Mm -hmm. To me, I am comfortable listening to him about that mm -hmm. because the the truth makes me comfortable. Mm. And not and you know and, and and pretend it or no platforming Hussein, mm. which is what they're proposing to do to us, mm. is like. That makes me uncomfortable. I don't think Catherine's proposing no platforming us. Well, she, she's definitely proposing not <laughs> listening to any more of our podcasts. Well, you know, no, she's not. She's just wondering whether or not we 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 are. We, we have any um, relevance to anybody except people of our own group. So I guess we've kind of answered that question. I wonder if we've got any more. Um, um, incoming. Incoming. Yeah, Abigail uh, got, got sent a message in. What did she say? She said that she was an artist, which I felt immediately, obviously, that's unfortunate. And, <laughs> and you know... Yeah, because she's not a writer. <laughs> she's like an artist. And she's worked in... Yeah, and everyone's an artist. And she works in her studio. I've got, I've, got, I've got news for you. Everybody's a fucking writer now. They're all <laughs> writing books and publishing them online. <laughs> so, you know, you and your little club, you know... And she no, works just... in a studio, and she said that she yeah, likes... she's an artist. She likes listening to the pod in her studio while she works. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's really good, because it gives her some... It, 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 it helps her through her day, mm. uh, or are otherwise very tricky and difficult. Mm. And I thought we... No, in, I think in, what in she said way... was she likes listening to us to waffle on about shit for an half an hour, and it... Makes the day go quicker. No, I think. No, I. 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 Th I just think it made her feel that there was a life outside being an artist, mm -hmm. and I thought that really we, we should be 
we should be prescribed Life listening being an artist. For, for Artists Anonymous, which is a, like a groups of people who come together and discuss this problem that they have, this addiction they have. Well, that's like the problem. Being an artist. There is no life outside being an artist. And, and we're, we're like the Artists Anonymous. We're like, we're like the way to, for them to, to get out of their problem, you know, to get over it. So how, how, how are we going to do that? Why? <laughs> Why can't we be Writers Anonymous? Writers have got a bigger problem than artists. I don't think they're they like do. looking at people all the time, like trying to think of ways they can incorporate them into their sordid little stories. <laughs> at least artists are just looking at the world and trying to respond to it in a genuine way, guy. Mm -hmm. Artists don't have a problem. Writers are psychotic, you know. No, they're, they're, they're no, constantly no, no, writing the, little narratives and making little notes. Yeah, no, the problem with cameo. Parts. No, the problem with writers is that is that. Uh, is that they tend to stand outside life a little bit too much and they get a little bit kind of dusty and woolly and they don't really take part. They're, spe they're spending so much time... Yeah, because they're voyeurs. Look, yeah, they're, they're spending... That's what I just they're, they're spend, yeah. And trying to write everybody into their little narrative, their little pervy inside world that they've got going on. And you think artists have got a problem. It's art, art, artists, actually, Guy, are the, are the writers anonymous of this world because... When, art, when writers get too far up their own anuses, they should go and see a good show at a gallery and really see the way the, way the world is meant to be perceived, actually without boundaries and without narrative, because narratives are at the bottom of all our problems on this world, and you should know that by now. Right, well, it's absolutely true that there is no narrative art which has any respect at all, and I think one of the big... What I think about... Uh, you artists, is one of your biggest challenges is trying to stop a narrative in everything that you do. And the moment a narrative appears, you're like, ah! It's really, it's like, you think they're just like crap art. So, for instance... I feel really insulted. For, you know... <laughs> <laughs> it's pathetic. <laughs> and it's like trying to stop narrative. That's, that's what you're all trying no, to no, do. No, 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 what Whereas you, no. Whereas narrative is no, like... No, no, no. What you, what you are allowed to do, Guy, which, which writing cannot do, is have multiple narratives. That's quite acceptable. So when you look at an artwork, narratives just keep piling out of it one after another and overlapping each other, and that's perfectly acceptable. <coughs> No-one can expect to stand in front of something that was made by a human being and... and, and, and We're all dying for narrative. And that's why, that's why when art was great in Britain, for instance, in the... My favourite picture is Derby Day, by... He's a Victorian painter, pre-camera, pre pre-photo.